0: a digital currency fiasco, JavaScript as ransomware, and privacy concerns around virtual reality. These stories are more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We begin today's report with word of an experimental investment fund based on the digital currency Ethereum that has been hacked with about $55 million worth of currency stolen. Or was it hacked? According to the Wall Street Journal, the founders of the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, or DAO, have shuttered the $150 million fund in wake of the June 17th incident and plan for its unwinding. But a posting on Pastebin, purportedly from the attacker who identifies himself as a DAO stakeholder, contends what he did was legal. He says he's making use of an explicitly coded feature of DAO. That feature, which is seen as a loophole, allows stakeholders to create an identical fund and move money in it. But the Ethereum code also imposes a waiting period that means the new fund can't move any money for 27 days. According to the journal, DAO's founders plan to fork the code and effectively void the hacker's transaction. Stay tuned. As my colleague in Data Breach Today editor Matt Schwartz writes, After channeling horror films and holding smart TVs to ransom, the ransomware innovation du jour involves attackers crypto-locking files using nothing more than JavaScript. Matt joins me now to discuss the latest ransomware technique. Hi, Matt. Hi, Eric. JavaScript, really?
1: Yes, JavaScript is elegant if you're an attacker because it allows you to execute functionality client side. If you can trick people into executing scripts, in this case, JavaScript, then you're halfway there as far as a malware attacker goes.
0: What is this JavaScript capable of doing?
1: This JavaScript, interestingly, will lock a computer. So it turns out that you don't need to have some large file that you fling across the internet, probably attached to a spam or phishing email. In this case, what is being sent is a very small file that has the JavaScript inside. And it also includes a crypto library because JavaScript doesn't have an advanced crypto library built in. And once the ransomware executes, it'll do two things. First of all, it'll lock a whole bunch of different files, including Word doc files, Excel spreadsheets, PDFs, JPEGs. It'll also install what's called Pony, which is a piece of malware that can be used to do a lot of different things. But in this case, a version of Pony is embedded inside the JavaScript, and it appears in this case to be designed to steal people's passwords. Do we know who's behind this? We do not, although it is instructive that the ransom message is in Russian. That does suggest that perhaps a Russian or Ukrainian cybercrime gang is targeting Russians or Ukrainians and attempting to part them from their bitcoins.
0: Does this mean that people in the West shouldn't be concerned about it?
1: As security firm Trend Micro notes, it's not difficult to localize various threats. So someone could easily take the JavaScript code that's been created here and put in a different ransom message. And at that point they could deploy it anywhere in the world.
0: How can organizations defend against this type of a JavaScript ransomware?
1: The SANS Institute has published some guidance via its Internet Storm Center. And in particular, security expert Rob Vandenbrink suggests that organizations nuke JavaScript at several levels. So what's happening here is attackers will often double name a file. For example, it will say really interesting invoice that you really want to open right now.doc.js or pick a title. So the .doc makes it look like it's a Word doc, but then there's a .js afterwards, which means it's actually JavaScript. A lot of people will double click on this anyway, and that will make it execute. What you can do then is block JavaScript attachments at the gateway level. That way any emails that come in that have a JavaScript attachment, the attachment will get stripped out, problem solved. Another thing you can do is make sure if someone does double click on a JavaScript file, it doesn't execute. So for example, you can associate it with Notepad or some other application that'll just show you the contents of the file. And finally, a more forceful solution is you can go into group policy and forcibly block the execution of all JavaScript files in Windows using the Windows shell via active directory and group policy. And that'll prevent them from executing. And those are things that you should probably be doing anyway. This is a case where attackers have found a way in, a small chink in the armor, and by exploiting it, they can get ransomware onto PCs. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. You're listening to the
0: ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Virtual reality technologies are finding more use in businesses, especially for training and educational programs. But with the growing use of virtual reality comes questions of privacy and security that, frankly, many enterprises ignore. To discuss the privacy and security concerns surrounding virtual reality in the enterprise, I'm joined by Healthcare Info Security Executive Editor, Marianne kolbisak mcgee Hey, Marianne. Hi, Eric. What are some of the potential privacy and security concerns regarding virtual reality?
2: These new technologies are showing up in the consumer world for entertainment purposes, but in the corporate world, including healthcare, they're starting to be used for training purposes. And one of the issues is to have organizations understand what kind of data is being collected on people who might be using these devices and technologies for training, what kind of information is being collected about the individuals and the organization. Attorney Stephen Tepler of Abbott Law Group recommends that organizations very closely read their terms of service agreements with these vendors that are providing these virtual reality solutions.
0: Who owns that information about you or about your training? Because it may be in a training session that your training is done wrong, and if someone in litigation is able to capture that information, they may be able to sue you on that, and certainly you wouldn't want to have that happen. What other concerns should organizations have about security privacy regarding virtual reality?
2: Some of the vendors of these virtual reality products are dependent on cloud providers, third-party services providers to host or to collect or store some of this technology. And organizations should also be aware of these privacy and security practices of these third-party vendors.
0: I will bet you that you will be surprised that probably these cloud providers are probably in East Asia somewhere or somewhere where your relative security profiles are not strictly enforced or not there at all.
2: Bottom line is that these virtual reality technologies are new and they're emerging and they're growing in terms of their use in the corporate environments and organizations really need to keep their eye on the privacy and security practices that these vendors and their third parties use.
0: Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. The FBI is warning American businesses of a new type of business email compromise scam that takes aim at personally identifiable information, rather than simply tricking accounting staff into scheduling fraudulent wire transfers. For more on this story, here's ISMG's Managing Editor for Security and Technology, Jeremy
3: Kirk. Business email compromise scams have emerged as one of the costliest frauds on the Internet. In its latest figures, the FBI says these scams costed businesses $3.1 billion worldwide through the end of May. The attacks can take a couple of different forms. In some cases, the email accounts of company executives are either hacked or illegally accessed. The fraudsters then study how companies pay invoices and then, using accounts they control, trick employees into sending large wire transfers to their own bank accounts. In other instances, the email accounts are not hacked. Instead, employees are tricked into making transfers after receiving emails from addresses that look very similar to their own domains. The FBI says they've spotted a new variation of the scam. This time, the fraudsters' goal is to steal personally identifiable information, or PII, rather than money. Using a compromised email account, the fraudsters ask human resources departments for documents such as W-2 tax forms. The goal is stealing sensitive information that could be used for further frauds. Experts say companies can put in defensive measures that would protect their funds. CEO of Strategic Cyber Ventures, Tom Kellerman, says companies should put in place DMARC. It's a specification that allows email senders to tell a recipient if they're using two other defensive technologies that help eliminate spoofed messages or spam. Kellerman also suggests that companies not simply rely on email correspondence when approving transfers. Instead, employees should use an out-of-band method, such as a phone call, before a transfer is approved. An analyst at Consultancy IT, financial fraud expert Shirley Insko, says there's nothing really new about the attacks the FBI references in its most recent alert, but access to PII by cybercriminals can increase the risk of identity theft. Insko says that money is always the ultimate goal, whether it is to fund terrorism or just the product of greed. I'm Jeremy Kirk with the Information
0: Security Media Group. Finally, technology used for medical diagnostics could one day be employed to authenticate individuals seeking access to systems and data. ISMG's Radhika Nalyam put up with the head of technical services for Micro Focus India, Naveen Gerasudea. In the not-too-distant future, Gerasudea suggests authentication could be a bit pricky.
2: We have to be futuristic in our thoughts. We have seen machines which check a blood sugar of a person without even making a, a pierce or pricking the person. There are research which are industry ready which says that the blood content of the person also gets red in a biometric device. So, that's a kind of innovation which is coming in. Two or three years from now, these innovations would already be put in practice with which we would be seeing um, these methods see light of the day.
0: So instead of recruiting a cybersecurity analyst, perhaps your next hire should be a phlebotomist. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.